is in session. The bell has rung. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of I, 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 I. Lucky, how you feeling, brother? Well, I'm feeling like a, a little bit of echo. We've had some technical difficulties today, but um, today we have a special guest in studio. Um, Drew, a personal friend of mine. Um, also, uh, we, we work together as instructors, but today we're going to be sharing the, the big, bright world of AI and how it's changed. But before we get into that, Drew, thank you for being here, my friend, uh, for being here early, early. It's, oh, yeah. it's nine o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, my friend. Welcome. Well, thank you. It's uh, it's an honor to be here. Um, I'm always uh, happy to have an audience, and uh, it's uh, it's an honor to uh, to be able to uh, share some of my experiences. And uh, hopefully, your uh, audience will get something out of this uh, this session here. So, thanks. Good to be here. Well, Drew hasn't experienced yet how the I I I I chance starts. Oh, I know, right? I hadn't done it. So, yeah, the fact of the matter is that. We all have to start a certain way, right? At the end, today is tough, right? You know, like, I, I, I. But at the end, I, I know that we're going to be like, I, 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 I. <laughs> we're going to learn so much today. And, but we're going to try to take it in small bites because at the end, we can only process so much. This stuff is, you know, it, it's, it's AI. But we're going to try to make it as palatable as where you can understand it. And Drew's really good at being able to make things and deliver the truths about what is AI. So what is AI? You know, I see we've talked about it a lot. AI, it helps you uh, at some point make better decisions. It can also empower you to, to, to do things that you didn't thought were possible, see things that weren't possible or weren't there, develop things. And now we're trying to figure out, okay, where did it change? Because I remember AI was just three basic things, you know, and, and before we get into it, you know, it was AI, it was deep learning, it was machine learning, but now we have all new different terms when it comes to AI and it's changed in six months. So what's changed? You know, Asif, what do you, what do you see? I mean, <clears throat> I, it was real easy before it was AI and AI was derived from deep learning and machine learning. And then eventually you would get to some kind of neural network that would give you AI depending on what you were trying to design. Now we have generative AI, um, an AI that supports large language models, and that's totally replaced that whole thing. What did we know was AI now has become visual, has become hands-on, has become more relevant, and what's changed? And so I think today is, is, is a good point to understand you know, what when it comes to deep learning, you know, what do you see at Asif and, yeah. and Drew? I mean, yeah. that's, I think that's a good place to start. Yeah, I think, I think um, uh, I'm, I'm going back in timeline and looking at the history in my head and saying like, well, hold on. I think I, even with some maybe uh, a word of advice from Drew and some, uh, you know, backup from Drew, I can say this very confidently. Nothing has changed. It's just people's perception has changed. Right. People's ability to engage with that technology has changed. So um, matrix manipulation is the ultimate 
neural network, right? That ability to say, take all sorts of data and manipulate that data to give you an output, right? That has not changed. And that doesn't have to change. That's not where change is. Uh, the change is happening in the middle, the hidden layer, that neural network, whatever that you want to call it, the black box, right? That matrix manipulation is just putting out an output that we haven't previously been able to say, well, this is what this output feels like, right? Input is the same, hidden layer is the same, black box is the same. It's that output, the way it's being perceived is different. So um, I am an optimistic guy. You know, I'm all in for AI machine learning, but I have to admit, you know, AI is just a marketing ploy, right? Has lots of marketing necessity behind it. Somebody's trying to make that million into billion. Well, you're not going to be able to do that by selling the same stuff over and over. You have to relabel it. You have to capture the market, pursue the market to call it, this is fresh and innovative and on the edge, right? Um, well, if the speed has changed, that means you're no longer driving a Toyota Camry. You are driving an F1 NASCAR, right? That ability to uh, engage with the customers to say, this is not fast as your old AI. This is faster than all the other AIs that you ever experienced, right? So that process of relabeling is what we're experiencing. But ultimately, the under the hood, it's just a faster engine. It's just an engine that is able to fine tune and optimize itself, right? Those are the things that we're looking at, right? Um, as you as you were going through the whole uh, breakdown, I, I just wanted to say like this classroom in session right now is for uh, Drew Ditsich. You know, I'm the student. Lucky you're probably the student too, uh, but you're you're uh, you know you're lucky enough to be right next to the professor here. <laughs> um, but Drew. What what can I add or what did I get wrong? Well, you know, just to, there, there's two things that are talking right now that I want that are topics I want to pull out. Right. One of them is is that there's a definitions challenge. I think that we're that that lucky started with of saying what has changed and how do we reconcile uh, our vocabulary. Right. And then to kind of where both of your headed is is trying to uh to, to true up on, you know, it, with, for, if you want to just be technical terms, right, there's, there's a lot of action in large language models. I would argue that when you start looking at chat GPT four and where things are headed uh, in, in just the, the deep learning space, right. The, what, what has made things exciting is that the, uh, the level of generative AI um, whether it's with pictures or with text has become, you know, uh, asymptotically more complex um, and, you know, reliable compared to say, you know, I can remember in 2018 when I was working on the, the data science uh, project, um, the, the exam work in, in Microsoft, talking to the, the, the lead <clears throat> data, science, data scientist um, that was from the uh, revolution analytics work. And, you know, natural language understanding was still something that Microsoft was trying to say, hey, this, you know, if you use our our framework for our chatbots, right, this will at least help you get make sense of somebody putting a random phrase in and then having, you know, be able to train it on a particular uh, sort of um, framework of a conversation that you're building from scratch. Right. We've we've leapfrogged that in the last five years. But I mean, to 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 take to take a step back. Right. I mean to talk about 
disambiguing language, right? When I talk with students, uh, you know, the, through the Divergence Academy, you know, the veterans that, um, that I help with at Divergence Academy there, um, I usually tell people that, you know, it, it used to be called, when I started it was data mining, um, and then I still use the word data science when you're looking at tables, which is not very exciting these days. Um, that machine learning is anytime you're trying to use um, a, some type of algorithm where you're predicting, you know, you're, you're having a simple output, like a column, like a yes, no, or, you know, a, a, a regression target. But the feature space is more sparse, right? Uh, instead of having rows and columns where you can, you know, it's a problem if there's something that's null or, or an empty field, right? Uh, when you get into pictures and you get into text, right, you, your feature space is no longer hundreds or thousands of columns. It's hundreds of thousands of, of, of features, uh, and they may be tokens, you know, that are that are text for like a document term matrix of the unique terms, depending on what size you put your your n-grams in um, for what they, you know, call, you know, tokens, um, you know, in NLP, uh, or with the actual pattern of a particular set of pixels, right? Um, going back to what you were saying, you know, when we talk about deep learning, right? I mean, the the original hidden layer work that was, you know, goes back to, I think the fifties on, on cognitive science on having hidden layers, right. That didn't get thrown out in 2010 at, um, at the university of London in, in Ontario, Canada. What happened was, is that they decided, you know, look, having just one X number of hidden layers of a wide layer, was not computationally sophisticated enough for the type of work we need to do. So deep learning was to be able to add kind of having a library of other ways to compose different variations of relationships between those networks, right? Um, you know, you're right in that, you know, when you look at a convolutional neural network, right, you're still doing matrix algebra to do the convolutions or, you know, in in, um, in visualization terms, right, people will take pictures and run it through a pasta machine and take every other uh, strip out and then do that a second time to make four individual pictures, right, as a way to have a show a, a physical convolution, right? Nowadays, for image detection, there may be 150 of those with some residual feedbacks for ResNet, right, as far as how you get to really good uh, precision along those lines to be able to handle rotation and stuff like that. But, um, you know, the so when I talk about artificial intelligence, that's essentially what I call machine learning. And when, when you're trying to do something fancier than a yes, no answer, like a classification or a multi-class or a regression, right, where your output is something that's, that's of, a, of a wider range, a more dynamic, a more human range of features, right? In other words, the, the classical one um, would be what they call now a sec to sec or a sequence to sequence transform. In other words, that you have a variable range of um, inputs and then you get a variable range of outputs, right? This is where, um, you know, Google has ultimately rewritten a lot of their translation software to have this interim representation of language that is not, it, it, it doesn't mean anything except for on chips and in the actual embeddings of the, the feature space of all language to be able to say, you know, this language can be translated this one through this step, right? Um, but, you know, kind of catching up 
one of the things that has empowered that ability to have these sequence to sequence, you know, uh, models become more mainstream and much more accessible is <clears throat> the recent invention of a transformer, which is essentially it, it, it's got its roots in the in the, the sort of the forecasting um, innovation and deep learning of a long short term memory um, idea of having, you know, looking at very, you know, in old school RMR, like for, for forecasting, you had to, for one run of a model, you had to choose, okay, X number of features, you go back like six, you know, six periods of time, and that's all you get for one run. LSTM said, okay, look, we'll, we'll give you a range. And sometimes you go back one, two, three, five, six, whatever you need in order to find where the sweet spot is for your messages. And kind of that, that, that abstracts when you're looking at fancier feature space into what we call attention as an auto regressive general um, way of representing any type of relationship to features. And it, it, that, that, that is a fundamental building block of transformers has really only been out since, um, you know, I think the, most of the main research was happening about 2019 and became mainstream in 2020. And that's when, you know, hugging face and transformers as, as general purpose libraries exploded. And so that's when we started to see a lot of this next wave AI. And, and it feels like it's brand new because, you know, the, the reality is that every, every vendor, you know, like insurance, right? You watch TV and you got five different insurance companies that are selling the exact same product that only have their ads to be able to hook you, right? Um, and 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 analytics is no different, right? Everybody is trying to say that I have something that makes me relevant, right? Now there, there are some better cases than others. Like as an example, um, H2O and Databricks are both companies that have machine learning or AI as part of their product. They have very different business models, but both of them decided to take um, a large language model and be because and be able to build what I what I would call a mini model, right? In other words, they took you know an open source billion parameter one and then made one that they trained for a specific type of work to be able to let you be able to um, use it for for kind of some specialty type of conversations, right? Uh, for for Databricks, it was Dolly. For um, for H two O, it was H two O GPT, right? But essentially, the, those are just ways so that instead of you sending like at, at, at Apple, right? Apple has banned all their employees from using ChatGPT because you have no control over how your searches in aggregate are used to be able to infer what type of research you're doing. Um, I, I'll tell you that you know um, the uh, the ChatGPT you know um, engine is not you know the, the more the, the, the rarer the type of conversation you're trying to have, the less good it is, right? I mean, I think there's been cases where someone tried to do a legal, he, he used ChatGPT to make a legal brief, and I think there were six precedent cases that didn't exist, right? In, in, in machine learning, you know, we used to call it, oh, that's feature hashing and collision as far as feature hashing being able to compress, you know, billions of rows, you know, of different states into, you know, maybe 10 million, you know, 16 million, what have you. And then have them all be the same otherwise. And then collision is when you get things that, that don't match, but it, it comes up as hallucination. There. So, I mean, that's kind of the, I, I think that, you know, the generative AI is really taking 
it's basically making a, you know, because deep learning was really esoteric in its first, you know, I would say, you know, because I mean, it, it really hit mainstream probably about 2015 um, with, um, you know, with TensorFlow. And then PyTorch um, has become more popular in the last few years um, as because it's a lot, you can do more things in runtime instead of just compiling and executing. Um, but, but essentially it was the idea that you had to, you had to roll your own model and build it, um, by yourself. And you weren't really taking advantage of what they call transfer learning, right? Nowadays, what's, what's happening is that, is that between there being standard, what we called sentence transformers, where essentially the, the, the word embedding, uh, you know, when I was doing in 2019, we had this thing called glove that's now just completely, you know, it's basically three generations behind in five years, pretty easily, <laughs> you know, um, you know, uh, you know, it, it was very clunky. I mean, you know, especially, you know, during, during COVID trying to get, trying to rent a GPU that could run the thing was just, it was, you know, I think I went through five different vendors before I got on the, uh, you know, I, I got a spot check with, um, with AWS on it, but you know, the, the, the main thing just to end on the, on the, you know, what, what's new is that generative AI is really what I would can in, in, in technical terms, it's a special case of the sequence to sequence transforming and, and transformers. But what's, what's make it, what makes it eye popping is the amount of data that they have trained it on is so massive that the barrier of entry for doing big work has become much harder to do. I mean, you know, Apple still doesn't have their own equivalent of a chat GPT. AWS doesn't have their own, uh, you know, uh, GPT. So you basically got Bard, which, you know, after a hundred billion dollar dip in their stock on a bad uh, product launch, you know, may have lost some some traction. So it's kind of like, you know, open AI under the Azure flag and, um, you know, and Bard are, are pretty much the only monoliths right now. So l let me just stop right there because I've said a lot, but I think I answered um, uh, Lucky's two first questions. There. Yeah, I think, I think <laughs> you know, folks, if, you're, if you can't hear it or if you're watching this, that means um, attention is all you need. <laughs> attention is all you need, not just for a paper that was written back in the days, but... <laughs> Attention is what you need in order to keep up with this AI machine learning. Five years, three different generation. That that made me laugh. Like that is just hilarious because where else are you seeing that much movement this fast? Where else? I don't know. Maybe F1 race car. Who knows, right? It's, it's fast. Attention is all you need. However, Lucky, I know you have a lot to discuss here, but I just want to point out what Drew mentioned about yes or no, mm -hmm. right? That is your ultimate core of starting in whatever the business logic, whatever that personal life uh, improvement or whatever the case, the use case you're looking for. Yes or no is where it all starts. A good question. If you're able to ask the question that is based on the use case and implication of that question will run you for a very long time. It will suppress that five years of three generation. Because if you ask the wrong question in the very beginning, you will end up chasing your own tail. Excuse me, let me get more professional. You will end up chasing a business logic that you no longer have need for down the road. But if you ask the right question, that business logic will serve you forever because things are moving so fast. The question you asked, is what's going to serve you in the long term 
And the question is what's ultimately going to give you, provide you with an output that you uh, will say, yep, that was our success story. So lucky. What'd you think? No. Yeah. We, we, I, I, I agree. Uh, there's a lot of different points that we made and drew you, you kind of hit on one that I, I personally am dealing with. And, and for the most part, AI is growing so fast that, you know, how do, how do you apply it? You know, how do you apply it into your work, you know, your day to day work? Um, I've talked to people now, <laughs> doctors, researchers, and we're before AI was, was something again from the movies. Now we've got doctors, just researchers. Everybody wants to use chat GPT, you know, whether it be three, four, four and a half, you know, people are already excited about what version five is going to be, you know, and, and you brought up a good point. One thing is, yes, it's, it's fantastic. It helps you. It makes things easier. It, it opens your eyes to, you know, simplicity. All of a sudden now you have something that can help you finish a thought or start a thought or before you, if you have writer's block, or if you just don't know, you know, where to, how to get something started, all of a sudden, boom, there it is for you. Right. And then it gives you everything. But the problem is, again, is when you're doing those types of searches, when you're, you know, what's being fed into the AI, because you're getting something back, but what's being fed into it? And that's a big problem when it comes to security. And that's something that we still have to figure out, you know, how much ADA, how much data, how much ADA, how much data, you know, is the AI, when we ask a question, you know, when we frame a question, how much of that is being held for for example, a profile for a specific company, or if you're a work for the for the government, at the end you don't know what data is being uh, being or what they're developing as far as information from you. So yes, you're getting something from AI, but what is AI getting from you? And we haven't figured that out. And that's something that is it's a big question for me, you know. And I'm sure for people out in in the private sector, you know. And that's where, like you said, in Apple. Apple said, you know what, we're not going to we're not going to allow people to use chat GPT. That's that's going to be the norm. But why? It, it, why is it the norm? Is it is it is it really, you know, is there something in the background that's much like when we see Siri, when we talk and all of a sudden we're seeing advertisements in you know, our social media? You know, what is the blend there? You know, I, I think that security, from my point of view, is we have a lot to go still. We still have to learn from AI. And there is there is an exchange. Right now, we're just seeing the front part of the exchange. We're getting something cool. We're getting responses from AI. And it's fantastic, you know, have to have those, you know, have that conversation. But I think there's still a lot to go with understanding, you know, what are we giving up when we communicate with AI? You know, there is a there is a back and forth. And so, you know, you had a, definitely hit a good point, Drew, that at, at the end, you know, there's going to be a lot of growth. I'm, I'm still working on what are the guidelines for setting up what is AI, you know, for people so they understand that. And, and that's where we're at. So without being long winded, again, is there's just a lot of scary stuff that's still happening in the background with AI. You know, how was that model designed? You know, yeah, we can trust chat GPT, but how many other large language model companies are there? You know, that are there what dozens, you know, what exactly is the exchange and then what was the data? And you, you mentioned that they, there is large language models and they're training smaller models to have very specific 
uh, use cases, you know, to be able to solve certain things or, or work in certain areas. That's fantastic. You know, there's going to be more generative AI. And I get to the point is, is we as I was a data, I was just a data scientist. I was a data guy, you know, a data warehouse guy. And there's a separation of what data sciences and then what we started developing the ai well we're past that when i'm uh, getting to the point is i only saw ai as being two three three basic things now and the world doesn't see that anymore all they see is chat gpt <laughs> right chat right, gpt right. man and it's fantastic right. and they see the generative ai with like stable diffusion that's the new stuff now. That's what people see. They're not ever going to understand that AI, there's a back end of data learning, deep learning that's happening in the background. They just see the cool pictures and that's where it's current. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, Lucky, as you mentioned that I'm, I'm thinking of analogies, I'm thinking of like how to draw that picture. And of course, I'm going to go back in history, right? Um, you know, history is just, it's repeating itself. This is mm -hmm. not really... Um, my goodness, my Siri, my Siri just turned on because I said something about, I don't know what I said. Yeah, AI, man. Siri's there. She wants to be part of the conversation. Siri wants to join into the podcast. Maybe yeah. we'll have her as a guest next time, right? Yeah. Drew and Siri. Um, <laughs> Drew and Siri. I, I know the, historically, like, you know, if you take that, uh, the paper attention is all you need and you just take that word attention. Uh, what does attention do, right? Attention focuses you into a single topic. So let's say, for example, you're looking at history and you're looking at Roman Empire, right? Well, if you think about Roman Empire and your attention span starts with Roman Empire, you're really not going to focus on what other empires was around when the Roman Empire was around, right? Roman Empire did not have the whole world. Roman Empire had a piece of the pie, right? Mm -hmm. What about rest of the pie? Where did that go, right? And, and as you go down that rabbit hole of where our attention takes us and how all the bubbles around the big bubble that we don't see, for example, ChatGPT being the big bubble, what are other bubbles that are around it, the micro bubbles, the small bubble, the tiny bubble, that medium-sized bubble, you lose focus because that's not how your attention works. Your attention works on what it is that you're focusing. If it's AI, you're not going to think about machine learning. If you think about machine learning, you're never thinking about data. If you start focusing on data, you're definitely going to lose sight on machine learning. right? Because your ultimate starting point is where you will end up in, but it's necessary that we use our human nature, the nomenclature that we have in our brain. How do we utilize that nomenclature for good, for better, for advancement, uh, for research purposes, for just improving it, whatever the case is? It's attention that actually matters. So if you're attending, just be aware of the fact that your attention is where you will end up in next. Mm -hmm. And at this point, Chad GPT being the source of all attention, um, you know, look, you know, we just talked about Apple earlier. Well, the reason Apple did what Apple did is because Samsung found out in a bad way that their coders took the open uh, source code and put it in ChatGPT. And there's no way of retracting that. ChatGPT is not going to come back. It's like, you know what I learned? Let me unlearn the source code from Samsung, right? And and, and yeah. that's the lesson everybody's learning, right? Exactly. So, so the, the, uh, the core of focus of security, if you start with security, you're going to go down the security bubble where in ChatGPT, you know, uh, they're able to integrate and optimize so many different AI systems, right? So before ChatGPT.ai, there was wider.ai, 
Coolbot.ai. There was all these other little mini AIs that were out there. Now ChatGPT has been able to optimize that to a bigger bubble. So those mini bubbles are still serving. It's just that the core of it is ChatGPT, right? Um, so the AI that is coming down the pipeline, look, um, it, it's not going to be any different, right? Because history repeats itself. All these formulas and theories we have, they all just will repeat itself, right? As in, you will always have that big dog like Microsoft and Google somewhere in the bubbles, but there's going to be millions of other little bubbles surrounding that in order to either compete with Microsoft and Google or add and supplement to what Microsoft and Google will provide as a service, right? So you, it, it's... And, and, and I guess this is my last statement here. All of them matters. All the bubbles matter. All the little dots matter. All the things that you're focusing on matters, right? But it, uh, to, to reflect back to what I said earlier, it's the question that you ask is what's going to lead you down the path to the next level. So let, let's do this. Let, let's do this. So I mean, we, we always kind of talk about what's current, um, but in AI and, and, and we cover the news. But what I what I'd like to talk about maybe is 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 take advantage of Drew um, is try to understand better large language models a, a little bit more precisely, you know, because we we all right now large language model boom we it's a buzzword, but before that it was natural language processing right, and before that but so let's just just take a step back how how. If Drew, can you just give us a, a, a better understanding of maybe a step us through large language models a little bit and maybe the history or, or maybe, you know, just just your experience? Because, again, you're the expert, brother. You're the subject matter expert. And when it comes to large language models, we can talk about anything generative. AI, but large language models are something that's a buzz right now. So let's just take a step back and try to understand that a little bit better from your perspective. So, you know, um, you know. You know the the process to do a mini basically the way you could look at it is that there's you could look at it you could argue there's there's sort of mega models mini models and micro models is a way to look at how the ecosystem is kind of that you, you know extending your your bubble metaphor right <clears throat> in other words you know for for example right if you want to be able to take advantage of the learnings of chat gpt2 chat gpt you know x right one of the first things to do is to have the the, the core um, way of being able to take generic text and be able to have it be meaningful for any derived models from that same family, right? So that that's where you talk about um, the, the the specific model is is some version of a sentence transformer specifically, but in general, transformers themselves are kind of a class of of models that do the word embedding. In other words, to take take your vocabulary and how things are used with other words as far as their context and be able to say, okay, when you're talking about gardening, right? These things, you know, the, you know, these are nouns, these are verbs. Some things are good. Some things are bad that may not be um, core terms, right? So it's essentially learning your specific lingo in the context of the other, um, you know, the, 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 the bigger models, right? Okay. So, so you have to have, that's one component of sentence transformer that you need, right? Um, another one that's very common, and I'm talking about kind of pre-processing before you do the big training, right? Another one that's very common when you're bringing in your own data is, um, is, is doing text summarization. In other words, 
if you're taking raw transcripts from um, conversations from tech support, right? People talk about their grandkids. People will just complain about the product, right? And so at least trying to like narrow, basically trying to at least summarize so that, you know, kind of like how you do in, in traditional uh, feature engineering, right? You, you, you deem, you know, you, 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 you cut, you either cap or transform to get things to be a normal, more normal curve, right? So those are the two sort of main um, pre-processing steps from a, a, an engineering standpoint, right? If you go even further up, right, ultimately, when we look at how these chat GPT models are trained, they're really trained at the end of the day, and this, this may be surprising, right, but just as an example, right, in Dolly, Right, this is Databricks' work, um, and and what I'm what I'm describing is something that I, I've been working with, um, you know, as a partner in the Databricks ecosystem, building a solution. You know, uh, we're we're building a practice around LLM. In fact, uh, there's a hackathon at the Data AI Summit where we're taking the Dolly Basis and H2O's LLM Studio, and I'm creating what I call Dolly Llama, which is basically a, a studio <laughs> to be able to help people write these dollies, uh, you know, models like dollies for customers, right? So, I mean, you know, uh, anyway, so, so the point is, is, um, is that, you know, at the end of the day, right, you really need two columns, right? You need a question and you need an answer, right? And it's not just because, because it's, what it's doing is it's just understanding the delta of what what your shtick, you know, what your, what your vocabulary, what makes your corpus of, you know, a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand question and answers different from whatever it was trained on. Right. So that's basically, so, so those are kind of the things before you start doing real modeling. Right. And then there's essentially, you know, the, the most common scenario, and this is something that I've seen both in H2O GPT and in Dolly is essentially using this kind of new class. And yes, I, I know, I mean, you, you think with data, you know, using the term database that you'd seen one database, you'd seen them all, right? But basically there's a new, there's an open source project called Chroma that essentially is what they call a vector database. In other words, what it does is it takes, it, it basically shreds your corpus and uses a sentence transformer to essentially take your document and represent it in a term of the vectors. It's basically a, a document term translator, if you will, and a storage mechanism for that, right? So, you know, for example, you can ask basic questions just with running a sentence transformer and populating a Chroma DB to look for similar, similar topics, right? You're not getting a lot of bang for your buck, but it's a lot quicker. I mean, it takes seconds with very little GPU um, clock time to be able to do that embedding and the search similarity, kind of like a cluster, um, you know, search, uh, you know, uh, cosine similarity type of thing on on those documents, right? So that that's that's the basic. So th that's sort of a precursor step to the, the training, right? Now, for an example, you know, the, the, the sample data set that we use um, is, I think, 1,500. It's 1,500 question and answers about gardening, right? But then we have the Dolly model that was trained. Uh, it was a, it was a um, basically, they originally took the, uh, an Eleuther AI model. These are on Hugging Face, right? These are open source ones. And they, you know, basically what, um, <clears throat> what, what Databricks did was they got 15,000 question and answer directives from employees 
be able to train it specifically to be a generic sort of um, chatbot specific um, interface as far as what it's it, it was that what it took that mega model of the Eleuther AI and made a mini model that was for a question and answer. Right. And so then the, then the big thing where you need the big hardware and by big har hardware, we're talking about you usually need about 24 gigs of GPU memory, right? Which that could be in three eight gig machines or in one 24 gig machine. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you uh, in Databricks terms between the AWS virtual machine and the Databricks licensing, you know, for the DBU per hour, you're talking about 10 bucks an hour to do this type of work, right? Um, I know that Databricks um, has mentioned, you know, uh, that they actually trained their mini model for $30 on, you know, commodity hardware, right? So getting a, getting a mini model that's tuned or a micro model, it's a similar process, right? It's just a question of how big, you know, what, what is your choice? And that, that's one of the reasons why there is, there, you know, you can use, if you, if you want to train on chat GPT and use their 175 billion parameters, you know, Microsoft would love to be able to charge you per token as far as like basically per unique instance, you know, like if you have, you know, 5,000 documents, each has a matter of, of a hundred documents, right. A uh, um, hundred tokens in them, right. That's 500,000 click, 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 ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-chings to train your thing on top of the, the compute cost on top of the GPU cost. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a good business to be in. Right. But also you're, you're giving away your work, right? The, the, the nice thing about the ecosystem from Hugging Face and these other models is that they're open source, right? You can download these models, they're only a few gigs, and you run them on your hardware and your, your data never leaves your firewall, right? I mean, if you want to open up a port to be able to have it trained, right, that's another thing. But the, the bottom line is that, that, that that's, so, so as an example, right, in order to train the gardening data set on the Dolly, on the, on the Dolly model, that's about four minutes. And that, that's pretty much all it takes, right? So in a lot of ways, because there's so, you know, the, the P in GPT is pre-trained, right? It's, you know, it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's generative pre-trained transformers. So in other words, all the, he all, all the major heavy lifting is to get that compression of, of, of consciousness, for lack of a better term, into a series of model weights, right? And be able to, um, un, you know, I mean, it, it's lossy compression, you know, um, to be sure. I mean, just to give you an example, I tried to use, you know, I, I you know, anybody who has not used ChatGPT, who says they haven't used ChatGPT is probably lying because they don't admit they've had to use, right? For simple stuff like plumbing in, in, in basic Spark SQL and Python, it, I mean, I, I tell my students, ask, GP, chat GPT to tell you, to give you a tutorial on Python and just tell it what you're struggling with and it'll give you great examples, right? But if you start to ask it to do like Scala examples in Spark or, um, you know, understand, um, you know, very edge case like digital twins and Azure, right? Things that hardly anybody's using, for, forget about its accuracy, right? Um, uh, incremental learning, right? Basically what some people call uh, online learning, like instead of having historical data to have a, like a, a model that's constantly being retrained. I think I asked um, ChatGPT for um, a, a, about places 
uh, you know, what, what, what libraries were available. I think they gave me 10 choices and six of them were wrong. So, you know, again, it's, but it's that edge case thing, right? That, that's, but, but anyway, so the, the point, I think that the original question was just, you know, what does it take to be actually build a large language model, right? And that, that's just the basic process, right? It's a little bit more, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're basically doing two types of, uh, if you use either two types of transfer learning or three types, depending on whether you count the text summarization and then the, 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 the sentence transformation and then the actual pure transfer learning from the large language model to build what you're, what you're querying, right? So, you know, that's, that, that's in a nutshell, the, what it takes, but like the, the devil's in the details, right? Because there is a whole, you know, trying to be able to get good um, models that are, are, are trained easily without a lot of iterations and things. That's where you have this PEFT or parameter efficient fine tuning and also um, uh, FT or uh, RL, RLFT which is reinforcement learning a feature uh, of, of fine tuning, which is basically when you put a human in the, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, RLHF is reinforcement learning for human feedback. Human feedback. Yeah, right. Which is basically where you give people responses from the model and then you have them, you know, manually wait. Cause I mean, it's still, you still need a human in the middle to give feedback, look and say, okay, this is a good response. This is a bad response. Let me give you a better one, right? And then you then you use that information to retrain the model, right? So those are things that usually happen after your first draft of a model. But you know, when you have, you know, with for most conversations, for most business cases, it's um, you can it's not going to take a lot of tuning to be able to have some proof of value that is usually enough to be able to say show to an executive and say, hey, well, you know we spent $25 of compute and we've got three out of eight of our scenarios working. It's going to be, you know, $500 of compute. I mean, we, we usually tell customers you should expect in the entire life cycle of the work to be able to do sometimes some, somewhere between two and $3,000 worth of, of train of, of just raw compute GP rentals. Um, you know, whether it's Databricks or not just depends on whether you're, you know, how much you're committed to like the Delta Lake infrastructure and big data and, uh, you know, whether you want to use, I mean, I think it's public enough that I can say this, but they're, they're actually at right now, if you, if you serve models right now, they're only CPU in Databricks, but uh, they're adding uh, serverless GPU uh, SKUs. Um, uh, they're announcing it at, um, I think it's, I think it's been in gated public. So I mean, it's been leaked already, but I'll confirm that here as well. So, you know, the, you know, it's certainly, a, I mean, if you think about what it would take to have done the same work two years ago, two years ago, you had been building a sequence to sequence transformer tuning layers and tearing batches and, you know, pulling your hair out just to be able to get to something that worked just for your work because you were only able to, there was no transfer learning that was available, right? So, you know, it, 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 it is a welcome um, advance. But, you know, one of the hard parts is deciding, okay, you know, do I use Eleuther AI? Do I use Vicuña? You know, what do I use one of the wizards? Do I use code GPT, right? I mean, what is the right, you know, uh, mega model or, or uh, mini model that I use for my personal use case of a micro model? So anyway, so I, I think that answers your question as far as yeah. you know, sort of LLM yeah. 
200 um, in, in trying to <laughs> mystify the process, um, you know, in, 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 in very block terms. I mean, there is one last thing I'll say is that there is a thing called the language chain, which is a way to help build, you know, w w if you want to have larger conversations, a lot of continuous thoughts. Yeah, you, you'll hit, you'll have a, a, a large basically so you can have a larger input and a larger output come. That's another class of, uh, of kind of helpers for the basic transfer learning. So essentially you're generating a language chain. So I think uh, MLflow in March, March 23rd was the first time that MLflow, which is you know the, the, mo the, the most common open source uh, platform for being able to, to train models, track experiments and be able to, to serve them. Uh, it, it, that's when it started to support LangChain and transformers. But you know, right now I'm, <laughs> I'm having to, um, I have one bug um, open with MLflow on their support for LangChain. Um, and now I have to open up a LangChain bug because I finally got a version that would work with a subclass, but it only, you know, basically in, in that chain that I talked about, right, it, it captures the, the hook to the GPT, to the, to the micro or the mini model, but it doesn't read the database to make it a full end-to-end -end pipeline for the transfer that it's showing. So, you know, it's uh, to be continued. So but let, me, let me stop there. Yeah, well, uh, you know, you brought up a, a good, a lot of good points there, and a lot of technical details, and 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 one of the things is, is a lot has changed recently when it comes to you, said, you mentioned the transformers, you know that that being a big change, and then also the and this is <laughs> you're gonna bring a smile to that, Steve's, but the hardware, you know, what it took to run it. If you want to run any type of AI model, it your hardware. And you know the the transformers and then the other is the advent of the GP of the GPUs. They with the, with the A A four hundreds with the what they use to power artificial intelligence had to be developed from scratch. These are custom mother uh, hardware, and that hardware is Asi's favorite place to go. So Asi, <laughs> you know the changes in hardware. You know what oh, it takes yeah. to support AI. Yeah, I think. Yeah, we're drawing a map here. We're drawing a visualization for people to understand. And let me start off by this. Like, who needs to understand all the things that Drew, Lucky, and me were talking about? It's not just technical folks, right? It's a finance officer that needs to be involved in this conversation, mm -hmm. right? Not that they have to have the attention the whole time, but they have to pick up on this fact that there's a difference between CPUs and GPUs. There's right. difference between where is this computing happening? Is it happening mm -hmm. inside of my building? Or is it happening in the user's device? Or is it happening in a data center out in Ohio, right? Mm -hmm. All things matters. And all things matters the way it is today. It's not how it's going to be in the future also, right? So does a finance officer need to know all that? I bet they do because they'll have to pull the trigger to say, what's the cost, right? And then all of a sudden you have a, a, you know CIOs that are discussing the topic. Well, we're going to have a different frame of conversation. Attention will shift from CFO conversation to CIO conversation. But we all have to have all of them in the same room because we cannot have this conversation in silos. We cannot have this conversation close behind the door, one way with CEO and another way with CIO. And then the junior guys are gonna get stuck with the ideas that, well, did your language chain, right? Did your thought process continue the way it should have? That iterations, did they change in silos or did you do them all out in the open, right? That, I think, was so important off of Drew's conversation we just had right now is that, look, pre-trained, that's already done for you. 
what you do next is so important and so, so time sensitive, right? How do you execute that transformation, not three years from now, but overnight? You have to do that out in the open in front of your whole team and have this conversation out in the open because you're not sitting there thinking like, well, my competition will not do what I'm doing, which is I will do it in silo. So they will now. Now, the, the culture is changing when it comes to data structuring, data capabilities and data in a portfolio. So when you're having this conversation out in silo, well, when you have conversation in silo, it takes months and years. But when you have it out in the open, you have a different reaction. And the hardware conversation, look, not everybody gets excited about hardware. Some people do. And that's a perfect example of the conversation to have because to me, software is very convoluted, right? It, it can go down a rabbit hole that I cannot retrieve from. But a server is about, you know, five inch stacked and two inches in the width, whatever the case is, I can handle that. Like that's not the rabbit hole of the software will take me. So uh, people, people like myself will need to be in that room. People like somebody that says like, you know, don't worry about the hardware piece. I'll figure out the infrastructure for you. You just do what you got to do. I'll do the plumbing for you. You got to do your data acquisition right. How do you feed that data through the pipeline is what, what I'm worried about, right? Um, so I'm going on and on about these, but I want to just simply say what we talked about earlier, the big bubble and the small bubble. If the big bubble is to say pre-trained information is already out there available, how are you the small bubble who's going to take care of yourself by having an, a, a connection with the, uh, a big bubble, right? So when, when, when it comes to chat GPT, a large language model, it is trained. It's pre-trained to understand what a grandfather is, right? But if it starts making mistakes like grandfathered in, on a clause that is a highly sensitive document, right? You have to, have to understand that like, okay, I didn't really know that grandfathered in and chat GPT is different than the grandfathered in in my contract, which is say uh, you're in a lawyer's office, right? But also let's say another example is ship, right? Well, ship, 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 you got it all over the world, right? But it matters differently from organization to organization, right? Because if you're in a shipping lane business, you have to have a ship that moves in the water. But if you're FedEx, your shipping is not the same as a shipping lane, right? So, so these terminologies, how do you train your small bubble to work with the big bubble uh, or work with a bigger pre-trained system uh, for, for your pre-trained system? You have to have these uh, sort of adaptation uh, that needs to happen very fast and rapidly, just like AI machine learning is having multiple generation in less than five years. Well, that's not going to change anytime soon because Stanford has a six hundred dollar uh, uh, large language model that you know is is ready and available for use people to use. I think unfortunately they shut it off because it's not secured. Um, but whatever the case is, you are capable of just talking about a few thousand dollars here and there to get your company going in adaptation of large language models and capabilities that comes with it, right? Um, so uh, based on the question you asked about the hardware, look. Um, hardware piece where we are today and where we're going to be has to be a major topic. And this is why I love hardware because where it stands today, it might not be here tomorrow, right? The GPUs that you see with NVIDIA uh, that you can rent and borrow, right? Will not work for your cell phone users, right? So if you're a big organization that are thinking of like, well, it works very well in NVIDIA chips, but how would it work in a risk or arm inside of your phone? right? How would that process information on the edge, right? So do I need to worry about having a, 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 a machine learning pre-trained system that is inside of your phone? And how do I deliver that, right? Am I competitive enough to deliver that overnight? 
right? So this kind of conversation about the hardware is something that you have to bear in mind. Just because something is exciting, you have to uh, uh, you know look at it from a, um, a bird eye view, maybe a satellite view. I don't know, whatever the case is, <laughs> to say. How do I incorporate this down the road? How do I incorporate the hardware that is ever changing? Might not be as fast as a large language model or computer vision or a foundation model, but the hardware changes are coming and they're coming very rapidly and you will have to adapt to them in the future, no matter what sort of large language model or foundation model you build today. Yeah, I mean, to, to your point, right? A, a, a mega model or a mini model is not going to fit on a phone. Right. You're talking about gigabytes of memory and the amount of horsepower GPU wise. Right. I mean, I think, you know, technically, I think that you could argue that the Apple Silicon is is sort of a, an inflated version of, you know, of an iOS, um, you know, hardware. Right. But even there, it's not going to, you know, even though you, you could potentially squeeze out that extra RAM for their GPU implementations, it's not the same because, you know, the, you know, the, between the power consumption and the amount of bandwidth necessary to, to move it back and forth is, is not going to cut it. But I mean, when you look at the micro models we talked about, like what actually gets delivered from you doing your uh, transfer learning, you usually have those models terms of, of in megabytes, right? Which means that you've got a shot at being able to have that be on a mobile device. But, you know, to your point, there is an ecosystem that you have to be aware of. And also, you know, I, I think that, you know, old school people will be like, well, you know, why can't I use my $500 i7, right? Well, an i7 has an eight megabyte level to cache, right? Which means you may have 64 gigs of RAM, but as far as when you're actually doing computations, it's only looking at eight big eight megabyte chunks, right? Deep learning, right? You're doing a lot more math, a lot more parameters, right? You need minimum eight gigs, usually, like I said, 24 gigs of actual you know, like a, a, a basically instead of, you know, driving a, you know, um, a, a mini coupe, you got to drive a bus full of data back and forth for your calculations there. So, um, you know, it's, um, it's, a, it's a paradigm shift. I mean, you talked about as far as cognates in, um, in history, right? I mean, you know, I, I'm not really sure we can, I mean, even the printing press doesn't, you know, the printing press just made it easy for a very small, rich number of people to be able to learn better and faster and knit, you know, the first, you know, few hundred years. And then ultimately, you know, it, you know, you could argue that printing presses, you know, were, were probably what helped, you know, the revolution happen against, you know, the Russian empire, you know, and, and other things. And then, and then people started to get smart and then they, you know, pushed disformation the other direction to, to make it easier to control people. Right. So, you know, I don't know, it's, uh, it's exciting, but it's also, it's, it's frightening, right? There's a, there's a lot of reasons when there's so much uncertainty and so much power that you, you have, you, you know, you can't see on how it's made that people can be worried, you know? And, and, and I think I just want to hit on another topic. You said many, uh, many that has to drive with a bus behind it in order to process data, right? I, I give you one another example that analogy was I was thinking about earlier. They said that you will have closed off system that you have to subscribe to get into because that will be built with security and the other open source information that are not built in security. So I think you will have to actually have to go through that period of time where it's not available on your phone for you to do large language model today, or it's not available on your phone to do AI machine learning capability today. 
However, until then, there might be a point where you have to drive Ferrari from home to the next gas station and then park that Ferrari and take a you know clunk of car to get to the office because you know you'll have you you have to see like uh, re- you know reverse that scenario time to time to say like you take a open source information and you study and you research and you get a broad topic like Ferrari right like all those super juicy stuff and then you have to log into a system that is closed off and that has like a very little amount of information and because of security heavy right and to say like okay how do i confirm what it is that i need to know and how do i approach that right so that's your clunk that you know it's not really something that you take into the office right but you know your, your open source is just that big it's very hard to maintain very hard to keep up with very hard to you know stay uh, keep your attention in right um but what works in a cl- uh, what works in the office is a clunk, right? A work works in the office is that the secured environment, one that you cannot do much in, you cannot play a lot in, right? Because it's a secured environment, you don't want to draw attention, you don't want to bring the unfriendlies in, right? So, so I was just thinking about that Ferrari and the clunk scenario. I'm glad you brought up that Mini Cooper and a bus scenario because that's what we have to might deal with for uh, that uncomfortable pain of growing, that growing the fact that we. We might have to figure out a way to say, how do we make open source that Ferrari as effective in the southern office, just like it is in my personal computer, just like it is in my kid's laptop, right? Or in my grandma's laptop, so that way my grandma is able to say, well, that caller that just called me is definitely fake because I can tell the deep fake AI versus regular uh, human being. Because, you know, for, for a grandma to have that capability, how do you create that open source environment that everybody can use it for specific use cases right and and without going through that oh you got to pay twenty dollars a month subscription to chat gpt or you know you got to pay for billions of dollars to have that uh, capability built into your system somehow right so so uh, I, I think that's a very important visualization you brought up that mini cooper and a bus scenario definitely appreciate that <laughs> It, it seems that, you know, people, and this is a, a learning process, you know, the, the, the layman, um, the public, what they get to experience from AI is that what, what is transformed or not so the transformer, but what is going to be available on their phone and what's simple, right? At the end, they, there's going to be, simplicity is going to have a dollar value. But again, we know that you can access that same information without having to pay. And that's something that doesn't right now isn't transparent. You can access these models without having. But the, the, the thing is, you have to learn. So it's one is learning how these models work or have it served to you through your phone where you have to pay some kind of subscription. And that's where we're at now. You know that that's and it's fantastic. I'll be honest with you. It, it's, it's one of those things that I enjoy the fact that the public is getting smarter now at what cost who knows <laughs> at this point what, what the cost you know is that we're giving up but it, it seems like people are getting smarter or maybe not maybe they're giving up more of their privacy and what they do to computing and then letting but at the end we're, we're getting better there's something that we're improving large language models have become current now we're before it was a thing of Jarvis. It was a thing of dreams. You know, we had Siri, uh, Alexa, and and those were great. But now it's becoming more where we are going to have a Jarvis that's not so much just playing our music, but it's going to be, you know, our personal representative in some way over time. But 
as far as the public is concerned, now it is in the forefront. And that's what I wanted to cover today. Us as geeks, you know, nerds, technologists, we know what AI is and what it grew from. It's just data and algorithms, statistics, and you, you're developing these models that give us a, something that makes us feel real, feel real, more human. And on the other side is you've got people that think there's magic <laughs> now. It's, this, this, our computers are becoming sentient. They're becoming, and that's where it's hit the news. You know, rope. Uh, our code now is alive. Is it? You know, <laughs> reality well, is. Eh, but to the public, AI is alive, and so. Yeah. I want to thank you guys. Today's been a great session. We're learning about you know large language yeah. models, and this this was fantastic. Thank you, Drew. Um, so before I wrap this up, or was it, I mean, what do you guys think about you know? I, I see. I'll hand it off to you. Oh no, I, I was gonna say uh, Jarvis stands for just a really very intelligent system. Mm -hmm. um, I was gonna say just another really very intelligent system, but uh, Jarvis will be focus, right? Just a really uh, very intelligent system. Jarvis will be the focus for next five years to come because we want to be able to reduce the amount of hardware that we utilize for our engagement, the user experience that we have today through a laptop, through keyboards, through mouse. Uh, we want to be able to reduce that amount of hardware by having voice AI take over uh, all of our interactions with the system, right? And that is a large language models one-on-one. -on -one. Like how do you take it to level thousand from large language model. Well, nothing really has to be large language model anymore. It's behind the scene uh, playing out the voice AI that we'll be utilizing as a Jarvis for our day-to-day -day experience. So your cars will have Jarvis in it. Your home office will have Jarvis in it. Wherever the case is, wherever in the world you are, because of fast data in motion technology, right? Uh, fast data in motion will be able to provide you with all the assistance you need and then how do you track how do you have data out in montana right that hardware is based on satellite like starlink you know it's able to provide you with the internet out in the middle of the woods right or out in the middle of pacific ocean right or as you're flying an aircraft uh, over the uh, um, you know ocean you're able to have an internet connection without any disruption so data in motion will never be a problem in coming years and decades because these are the hardwares that are bringing the edge to the edge, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Uh, talk about a bleeding edge, it's in your edge, like it's literally built into your system somehow. So I think we, we will we'll, we'll work it out to a point that, um, you know, not to have Jarvis will be my big concern to say like, well, if we didn't do Jarvis in 10 years from now, we didn't do feature right. And that's where I'll end with I, 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 I. I got one more uh, little message I want to leave with is that, you know, AI has given us a huge leap forward in content of what we can't what what we can ask a computer to do. The problem is is that context-wise, right? Our you know there's the more productivity that is generated by being able to create chatbots that can you know, go after what used to be white collar jobs after we've automated blue collar jobs, right? Society has a reckoning that is coming that the amount, basically the, the benefits of this productivity are not distributed, nor is society properly restructured to be able to handle 
the amount of automation that is coming. And there's a reckoning that's going to have to come. These reckonings will come smoothly if people have conversations and they, 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 they're inclusive or they're going to be rough if people keep getting the short end of the stick. So, you know, just, uh, you know, there's garbage in, garbage out. And if you do it, if it moves too fast uh, without considering, you know, what it's the, the repercussions, you know, it, it can be a problem. So anyway, just wanted to uh, leave that food for thought. Ay, 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 so much to talk about. <laughs> so, uh, so, 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 Drew, we started off with the ringing the bell, but you got to do the chant now. Like, where, where are you with the chant, brother? The chant? Yeah. Okay. Let me see. I, I, I didn't warm up, so I could be better, but I'll give it a shot here. Give it a shot. Fantastic. Well, I couldn't beat that one. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for joining on another episode of AI where we start off with one side of AI and we end up on the other. And somewhere in the spectrum, we learn something. Uh, thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Lucky, for making the time today. We'll see you guys next week.